what I remind myself is that, you know, I just need to make forward progress every day and I'll keep going. That's the advice that I give to people. Make a decision as to where you want to go and then make forward progress every day. Hello and welcome to the Cisco Learning Network podcast. That was Micheline Murphy, a consulting systems engineer and a designated Cisco VIP for the Cisco Learning Network. But that might not give you a clear picture of what she does, so we're going to let her describe it. As an implementation engineer, I implement ACI for customers. I specialize in actually teaching network teams how to build their own production environments. It's that kind of perspective that these guys are smart, you know, this team is a really smart team, but they don't know this platform. And so it's up to me to help them along their journey. Micheline has been working in the IT industry since 2016. Before that, she was a trial lawyer with over 20 years of experience. On this episode of our podcast, we'd like to bring you the story of how Micheline made a massive change in her career, from working in law to finding information technology. Cisco Learning Network Community Manager Matt Saunders sat down with Micheline to get her story. Are you on the boat today? I am on the boat today. So the sun is actually shining and it's not raining buckets. So I'm a little giddy with sunshine. <laughs> so you get to work from the boat like all the time, huh? Every day. Yep. That's the life. I, I remember commuting for hours on end for years and the work from home world is beautiful to begin with, but working from home, meaning working from my home, which happens to be a boat, is even more beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I love it. Have no regrets about moving on the boat. So, I mean, there are challenges because, you know, you have a smaller space and like, you know, how do you manage a workstation when your desk is like the size of a laptop? You know, I've got like the footprint size of a nightstand, basically. <laughs> yeah. I love that, though. I mean, that's the beauty of what we do and the world that we get to live in these days. Now, you're up in Seattle area. Did you grow up in the Pacific Northwest, the Seattle area, or did you migrate that way at some point? I grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Moved out here in 91. So, you know, just about the time Nirvana became a huge thing. And, you know, everybody started wearing plaid. Loved it out here and have never left. <laughs> I've been here for... Gosh, now almost 30 years. Met my husband out here, did my undergrad out here, did my law school out here, practice as a lawyer out here. IT doesn't know any, you know, global boundaries, right? But, you know, here I am. If you could please not remind me that 1991 was over 30 years ago or 30 <laughs> years ago now, that would be really fantastic. I know, seriously, right? <laughs> <laughs> I grew up with my younger sister and my mom and dad, and I have a half-sister who wasn't an adult when I finally met her, and she was a doctor. So soon when she came over from the Philippines to live with us, she had already graduated med school, and she was studying for the boards and whatnot. Both my sisters are still on the East Coast. One of them lives in Tennessee, and one of them lives in New Jersey. I moved out here. My parents obviously have since retired, and they retired to 
a cute little house that they built on the intercoastal waterway in North Carolina. They're never there because, you know, when it's not pandemic, their hobby that they chose for retirement was to travel basically everywhere. For the longest time, we would be like, do you know where mom and dad are this month? Because I don't. (laughs) (laughs) In high school, I was always involved in debate and I did the parliamentary law club and I participated in like the public speaking marathons and competitions and moot court and everything like that and it was really just generally assumed that you know Mish would eventually end up to law school. Having Asian parents that was not the first turn I took right out of high school. Asian parents, well my Asian parents anyway, they wanted me to go to med school. I was smart enough and, you know, did well enough in high school that I had been accepted to the Penn State Jefferson Medical six-year medical program at 16, which was like ridiculously too young for me. To have to make those kinds of career decisions for like the remainder of your life, in retrospect, older self is like, you were not ready for that. It wasn't really what I wanted to do anyway, so kind of predictably didn't finish that. I think especially for young people, but maybe for, you know, just people in general. If your heart's not in it, you have to have a fair amount of discipline to successfully complete something that you just don't want to do. As a 16-year-old kid, I didn't want to do this. I didn't feel like the worth of it to be disciplined to do it, so I didn't. (laughs) And in 91, I was a college dropout, and I moved out to the West Coast, much to my poor parents' chagrin and dismay. (laughs) kind of found myself here in Seattle. Eventually went back to finish my undergrad at the UW here, really knowing that I was gonna do well enough to get into whatever law school I wanted. That was what I wanted to do. That was where my passion was and I made that happen. And the law school I wanted to go to was the local one here at the University of Washington. I applied to that law school and one other and I got them both. And that was the beginning of my career as a lawyer. (laughs) My story is really kind of that tale, not just of, you know, follow what your passion is and know what your passion is, but for me, it was really about having the internal strength to go grab what you wanted. Because my parents were adamant that the choice of the law was a bad idea, that no good was going to come of it, and they let me know in no uncertain terms that they disapproved of it. And in retrospect, I know that they regretted the words that they said and there were lots of words that we said to each other that were probably regretful but I have always been really headstrong and I this is what I decided I was going to do and I didn't really care. Thank you for sharing that with us Micheline that is really meaningful for a couple reasons I think personally to your point try to know what your passion is motivation will come and go and discipline can carry you and can stick But passion gets you up every day and gets you moving. Totally agree with that. And also that it's okay to pivot. It's okay to start something and acknowledge that when you're 16, you may or may not really know. And it may not really happen until, you know, early 20s, mid 20s, whatever it might be. And in your case, and also in my case, by the way, you might start your career and work in a career for 10 plus years and find that you, now you want to make a, another change and go after that. And that's one of the things that I personally connect to about your story a lot is early, I don't know what I want to do. <laughs> to start to do something 
to then figure something else out and to have the work ethic and the fortitude to make that adjustment and make that change. And that's one of the unique things I think for certifications and IT careers is that you don't necessarily have to go for that four-year degree route to kind of build yourself a career in this field. My experience has been is that if you've got some outside experience outside IT, like, you know, some legal experience, maybe you worked in a law firm or maybe you have some healthcare experience and worked in a doctor's office or a clinic or something like that. All of that additional life experience helps to enrich your insight as an IT professional. And it helps you to interact with customers, you know, because healthcare customers, for example, or legal customers, they're used to talking a specific kind of language and they may or may not be able to say what they need from a networking perspective or an IT perspective, but they can sure tell you what they need, what problem they're trying to solve in their everyday life in non-technical language. If you have the ability to connect with the people that you're talking to on some level, uh, whether or not you're talking about, you know, baseball, or you're talking about, like I said, the law, or you're talking about healthcare, or you're talking about the military, that just additional ability to connect with people really helps ease that transition so when you have to go talk hard stuff like VXLAN or Nexus switches or ACI or security, next-gen firewalling, that conversation gets facilitated because you've already got process going. I tell people all the time, don't discount what you've done outside of IT because it will show up in valuable ways. Micheline started out as a Seattle City attorney, where she prosecuted jury and bench trials in Seattle Municipal Court, including DUI cases, writing pretrial motions, and post-trial motion briefs for about a year. Then, she became a staff attorney at the Northwest Defenders Association, where she handled all stages of prosecution, from arraignment to sentencing, including settlement negotiation and jury trial. Micheline stayed at this position for about 12 years until the narrow scope of her job felt too repetitive and tedious. In 2012, she decided to pivot to another practice by becoming the lead organizer for the Service Employees International Union, Local 925. There, she worked in the legal team that defended voters from challengers to the right to form a union. However, this too began to feel too boring and repetitive, even more so than her previous position. Micheline knew that she had to do something else, but finding something else that she could be passionate about and taking that first step was not going to be easy. Here's Micheline in a different interview from the Pakistani Women in Computing talking about the fear and anxiety she had when she realized she needed to make a change. It was really scary. I had done law for almost like 15, 20 years. It was what I knew. It was boring and it wasn't challenging and it was stressful but it was familiar. And, you know, a lot of folks will empathize with that. You know, it's, at least it's the devil I know. When I decided to take the leap, I really just took it. That first step off the cliff, that's hard. For anybody who's in that situation of having to try and whether they want to or not, deciding whether they want to pivot, I think you don't do yourself a service if you fail to acknowledge how hard that first step is. And not hard technically hard. It's 
emotionally hard. And some people, you know, will stand at the edge of that cliff and they'll put up with whatever they decide to put up with rather than take that step. And for me, it had gotten to the point where I had no more room to grow in the law. I'd been practicing the same practice area for a very long time. I had tried to make a pivot to a different practice area that I thought would ignite new passion. And the, unfortunately, the practice area that I chose that I thought was really exciting was so much more niche than the niche practice area that I was already in. That prospect of actually just breaking into that practice area was vanishingly small. At the point in time where I was at, here I am a very experienced trial lawyer. Kind of the unfortunate thing about the law is that very, very often law firms will hire young people right out of law school. You know, they'll get paid an enormous amount of money to take these cases. But if you're an experienced trial lawyer and you've got decades of experience, well, I can hire somebody straight out of law school and pay them a fraction of the cost. I didn't really feel like I wanted to hang my shingle out again and go solo practice again. And I had done that before. And so I decided, well, you know, here I am standing at this crossroads, you know, very honestly, just me talking to myself. I, you know, really wasn't sure what, you know, what's the next move. It was talking to my husband, my partner, who's been in IT for a very long time. Literally, the conversation was, well, now what do I do? What's next? After a lot of deliberation, Micheline decided to go for it. She decided she wanted to stop being a lawyer and start being an IT professional. And after she made this decision, she decided that she might as well fully commit effective pretty much immediately. I did it in grand style. I literally retired from the bar on the first day and then went forward with IT on the second day. <laughs> I'm like, I'm done with my practice wipe my hands. Now let's go do this exciting new thing. <laughs> I was actually aided in the fact that my immediate family and my friends in the law, you asked them what Robert did and they're like, Ooh, I don't know. You know. I asked Robert, what do you do? You know, because I didn't know. So that mystery around IT, what he did as a network professional, kind of helped me out a little bit. So my parents didn't really know what to make of it, but they knew that Robert had done really, really well for himself. And so they were like, uh, okay, have fun. <laughs> right. I think maybe it helped by that time they were ret retired and they were off gallivanting the world. My best friend, my old work wife, she's still a lawyer. She had no idea what I was gonna do, but you know, her husband was in IT and for a little while, her husband and my husband were co-workers at a service provider. She knew that he made lots of good money. She had no idea what he did, but she knew he didn't work very hard. And she's like, okay, good for you. <laughs> we'll put a quick disclaimer on this conversation that we do not assert that IT people do not work very hard. Employers and hiring managers and bosses of the world ignore that portion. <laughs> With a circle of family and friends to support her this time, unlike when she made the switch from the medical field to law, Micheline was ready to get started. Her husband gave her the Cisco Certified Network Associate, or CCNA Official Certification Guide. This book helps people who are interested in a career in IT get started by preparing them for the CCNA exam, the true test of seeing whether or not a candidate understands network, security, automation, and programmability fundamentals. 
It's basically the way for a person to be able to understand what IT is all about and provides all the information someone would need to be able to take their career down a specialized path like security, data center, collaboration, and other more specific forms of technology. With this book in hand, Micheline didn't waste any time plunging into her new studies. He started me out with the CCNA textbook, the OCG, the Official Certification Guide. Started reading, never looked back. Since I chose to do it as a full-time job, I looked at this as like, when I went to law school, I didn't work through law school. I went to law school, I went to class, I studied after class. At the end of the day, go to bed, rinse, repeat. So I kind of looked at my studies kind of like that, that, you know, I'm remaking myself. It's not gonna happen overnight because this is gonna be a process. I ended up having this kind of schedule where I would kind of plot out, oh, what am I going to do this month? I'm going to study, you know, VXLAN this month. I'm going to study OTV the next month and kind of having this kind of broad plan. And then in the morning I would lab. And then when my brain got all mushy and tired, I'd go out and I'd take a walk or I'd get out and exercise a little bit, get the blood flowing. And then come back in the afternoon and then I would reread the chapter. Oftentimes it was reread the chapter on the stuff yeah. that I just did and broke in lab. <laughs> because more times than that, I, uh, I needed to go back and try and figure it out. I really had to learn patience with myself. I consider myself reasonably smart. And for me, remaking myself as an engineer took a while. I literally spent a month learning VXLAN, like one technology. And it really took me that long. It really took me labbing for four hours, not getting it, coming back the next day, doing it again, still not getting it. It took me a while. And there were times when I was impatient with myself and there was times when I was frustrated with myself and times where I couldn't imagine why did I do this to myself? Um, I am delighted I did. The more Micheline studied, the more one passion in particular began to bloom, labbing. At first, Micheline was afraid to even touch a lab because she thought she was going to break something and cause irrevocable damage. But what started out as an activity she was intimidated by quickly became the motivation she needed to keep going. And for me, it wasn't just reading the books that really set my soul on fire. What really just made me really excited about IT was having the opportunity to see how it behaves in the lab, getting into the virtual lab environment or getting into a real lab environment and configuring it up for myself and seeing how it behaves. I always broke stuff. Once you get in the lab, there will always be breaking stuff. Getting that fixed to this day, my job as an IT professional is to help people fix what's broke. You know, I do that for a living now. Practicing with labs is crucial in understanding the world of IT. By using a simulated lab environment, a student can practice what it's actually like to set up a network to connect two or more computers together. Many people, especially on this podcast, have described what it's like to configure a way for devices to communicate with each other as powerful for the first time. And Micheline was no exception. For your own understanding, it's not just enough to go through the books or go through the white papers or with videos or whatnot and then build your lab. You know, when you go into your lab and you 
tinker around and you try and do things. And once you start down that process, you know you're going to fail at something. That's just inevitable. The best learning experiences in, in the world, the times that you get most jazzed about being a network engineer is when you've totally banged your head against a problem and banged and banged and banged and banged and all of a sudden you figured it out and you made it work. Even if you're the only person ever who reads it, go through the exercise of capturing that process is so valuable. Anybody who ever asks, what is the most important thing to do as a student of network engineering and online, is, is keep a lab notebook. Right. Start that out with, what did you set out to try to do? What's your topology? What are the IP addresses you're using? Screen capture as much as you can. Screen capture the config. When it goes cattywumpus, describe what went wrong and how did you verify that, you know, capture the show commands that show that you bombed out and work the problem on the page so that you can understand your thought process. When you go back six months or a year and you're like, oh, wait, I saw that problem. I, I worked that problem. And you want to be able to go back to your notes and take a look and see exactly what you did or exactly what the behavior was. You'll have it captured. And I promise you that lab notebook, if you've done it right, will be the most important thing that you ever own, <laughs> network engineering-wise. I have an ACI lab notebook. Shoot, I, if I go back to that thing once a week, that, you know, that's probably underestimating it. I go back to it all the time. Micheline's passion to sculpt a career in tech for herself was propelled by the labbing she was able to do. She broke things in her lab environment, figured out how to fix them, and studied as much as she could about configuration techniques. She truly dedicated herself to walking down this new path she had chosen. But it wasn't an easy process, even for someone as smart as Micheline. For me, what it took was recognizing that this was a choice I was making for myself. I made this choice. It was my control. From like a really deep philosophical level, I took a lot of comfort saying, okay, you know, rather than just being like pushed around and somebody else deciding that I'm, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I chose for myself. I derived a lot of pleasure from the process of learning. My learning took a few years. I literally went from, I don't even know what a switch is. You know, <laughs> what is a router? I was that kind of uneducated. My learning took a while and I chose to derive the pleasure that I did from the process of learning. The thing that I found out about being an engineer is that you will learn something new every day. <laughs> and if you don't like learning, you might want to think about something else. But even the smartest and most motivated individuals can benefit from the help and support of others. That's why when Micheline found the Cisco Learning Network one day by chance, it accelerated her studies. The Cisco Learning Network is a social learning community focused on the IT industry. Its mission is to provide learning tools, training resources, and industry guidance to anyone interested in building an IT career through Cisco certifications. In addition to all of these things, one of the greatest advantages is that so many people in this online community push, support, motivate, and inspire each other every day. For a beginner like Micheline, this was a way that she could move forward without being in total isolation. 
I was actually looking for a way that I could like capture what's foundational about networking. And at the time it was called Route Switch, was a really good place to start. Shortly thereafter, questions started arising and Googling around one day and I came across the Cisco Learning Network and that's how I met Matt. And then I've been involved in the Cisco Learning Network pretty much ever since. You've never gotten rid of me. I thought the Cisco Learning Network was the most valuable tool other than the lab that I built in my process was to be able to have a community of folks who would challenge my knowledge, would help me when I had an impasse in understanding. The community was kind and caring and really interested in developing folks' understanding and expertise. It was by far one of the resources that I leaned on the most. After signing up on the Cisco Learning Network, Micheline got to work engaging with other members, asking questions, watching training videos, and building a new professional network of individuals from a completely new field. And she still uses this community to this day. I couldn't have made it without it. If you ever meet an engineer who tells you, I know all the answers, go find somebody else to talk to because that person right. is clearly blowing smoke up your skirt. There is right. no person in the world who knows all the answers and it really takes a community to be able to not just grow somebody up from scratch to be an engineer but it takes a community to solve a lot of the problems that as network professionals we tackle every day to this very day you know if i'm working on a project and i'm like mm, i need a second set of eyes on this that's going to be the mark of an engineer who is really working the problem we can't see everything all at once and we don't know everything the systems that we build as engineers they're going to be flawed but we can engage other people in the community to take a look at what we've proposed or help us with the problem that we're trying to tackle, turn it around in a different light and maybe help us uncover a solution. If I had to like stand in the room at Cisco Live and I'd have to point at the smartest people in the room, those people in the room that I'm pointing to are the people who are eager to engage in that interaction between their fellow engineers and work in a collaborative fashion to come up with the best solution. That sense of community is so important. Like I started out at the Cisco Learning Network, I barely knew what a switch was. I had lab equipment that I was afraid to touch because I was certain I was gonna like do catastrophic things if I looked at it wrong. <laughs> it was the support and the patience and the generosity of the people in the networking community that helped foster me to grow up into the engineer that I've become. I think it's important for people in the community to continue that tradition of sharing, of collaborating. All of that is so important. The human networks that we build between engineers, not just in our neighborhood or in our office, engineers in our state or in our country or across the world. The cool thing about networking is that the technology is the technology, whether or not you're in the United States or you're in Sweden or you're in France or you're in Germany, you know, and right. I've met so many incredible smart engineers who are generous with their time. We've been able to teach one another. I mean, that is the strongest thing I think about a good, healthy IT community. You just hit on something that I never quite connected the dot on, and that is the reason why our broader community 
is able to be truly, truly a global community. Because you're right, this technology, which has to be in place around the world, is consistent around the world. And we're all learning how to work on it together and work with it together. You really, really do get an opportunity to meet people in global locations that you may have never thought you'd ever have the opportunity to meet. Coming up as a lawyer, the law, especially in the United States, is super balkanized. The law might be different in my city versus the city across the water, different from Washington to Oregon or Louisiana to Alabama, different from the United States to Canada. It's so fractured and different depending on where you go. You don't get that in networking. I mean, VXLAN is yeah. going to be the same here as it's going to be in Japan, it's going to be in Canada, or it's going to be in South Africa. We may struggle with a common human language, but understanding the technology, it's going to behave the same way regardless of where you are on the planet. You really made that click for me right now, Micheline. and never quite made that connection, but yeah, that is um, a beautiful opportunity that I hope maybe people that might get a chance to listen to this, that are not quite in their IT careers yet, can have a little bit of a vision towards that opportunity as they progress. You also made me think of something else as you were talking about community and sharing of knowledge. I saw an interesting, I'll say quote, about if you want to gather the dots, research something or read something, but if you want to connect the dots, write something, that was one of the things that really caught my eye about you on the Cisco Learning Network was the thoroughness and the detailness of your writing and writing answers and explanations. Would you say that that's fair? Did that help you as well in your in your learning journey? It totally did because if you can absorb something to the point where you can pass it on to somebody else and that second person, that next hop, understands what you're saying, it means that you have been able to not just absorb the information but be able to transmit it. This is where my old life as a lawyer blurs into my new life as an engineer because I can't tell you the number of times I'd have to like try and explain something scientifically complicated, for example, to a judge. And judges sometimes are very, very, very smart and sometimes they are just not the sharpest minds in the drawer. And it doesn't matter, you didn't get a smart judge, they're gonna have to make a ruling on your case. Anyway, if you want them to behave in the fashion you want them to, they gotta be able to understand what you're saying. Very early on as a baby lawyer, I had to learn to gather information on the judge that I was going to be arguing in front of, and then really be conscious of how do I craft a message that's easily digestible. I bring that consciousness to everything I do as an engineer, because you could be the smartest person in the room, but if nobody else understands you, who cares? You're just gonna be off in the corner talking about your packets and your headers and you know maybe your buffers and your quads lanes, and everybody's gonna be tuning you out and out to coffee because they don't understand what you're saying. And if they don't understand what you're saying, they don't understand how it's gonna impact their network which is the more important part, right? I bring a measure of consciousness to everything I write. In the same token, I don't want to be that stuffy person. So I try to make it entertaining. And sometimes I succeed and sometimes I don't. <laughs> I do try to be as homey and as fun to read as I can. It's still a work in progress, I think. With a newfound passion for technology and a community ready to support her, 
Michelin began achieving Cisco certifications, which are an industry way of recognizing that an individual knows a certain set of skills. Basically, it's a way for hiring managers to see that you actually know what you say you know. These certifications start out at the associate level. That's the level we mentioned before about knowing the fundamentals of networking. Then they progress to professional, where you pick a concentrated technology path like security or data center, and then really hone in on that specific technology. Then above professional level certifications are the expert level ones, which are considered the most prestigious certifications in the entire tech industry. Of these three levels of certification, Micheline achieved both the associate and professional certifications in her first year after making the switch from law. I retired in 2016. I think by 2017, I had my CCNA and my first CCNP. 2018, I think I got my design, so my CCDP. I mean, I think it was 2019 or 2020, Cisco moved to a different model and a, a lot of my certs got translated into specializations. So I have a, a number of specializations. So Cisco ACI is kind of where my specialization is right now. So I got my first ACI specialization in the beginning of 2020 and that kicked off my NP and data center. I kind of kicked out a certification a year for the space of three years. And then I was hired in 2020 at CDW, so Cisco Partner, and I'm doing ACI, which, like I said, was is now kind of my specialization. And Micheline talks about why these certifications were so appealing to her in her career journey. The thing that I liked about getting into ITN and specifically networking is that there are these certifications that are offered that really kind of give you not just a good educational foundation as to what you're doing. They're very recognized in the industry. So if you're just starting out, you don't have a ton of experience, but you do start out by having a cert or two that's recognized and the Cisco certs are really recognized. You know, it's a starting place where you can have a conversation with the hiring manager and okay, maybe you've never worked in IT before because that's where I started out, but I've got these certifications a good hiring manager will understand, you know, what is involved in order to get that certification it allows the conversation to happen, right? So, you know, you get past the hiring manager saying, oh, I don't recognize this certification, you know, because it is well-recognized, it's got a lot of rigor to it. It's trusted by a lot of people in the industry. That was how I got my first job in the industry. The hiring manager basically said, well, I see you've got these certs. I see all the other things that you've done and I trust already that you have the technical expertise to do this job. So let's talk about your other skills. One track in particular that caught Micheline's attention was data center. What I chose to do end up doing and the track that I ended up taking was going through data center, doing the next level, which is the Cisco Certified Network Professional NP exam in data center. And that's kind of the route I took. One of the things I liked and then I didn't like about the law is the intensity with which you practice a singular area. It's great for becoming a real specialist, but the law moves so much slower than technology. You know, there's not a huge respect in the law for people who are generalists because of the ability to just to really be able to dive deeply and become really good in one area. And so there you get this proliferation and practitioners in your area like, oh, you know, so-and-so is the contracts guy and this guy here is the real estate guy. And, you know, that woman over there, you know, that's the woman you, you go talk to if your son got brought home by the cop. In networking, a strong generalist 
somebody who knows a little bit about everything and can put all of the pieces together in the network and understand how they go together, that engineer might not be able to like get into CCIE level deep dive on a particular technology, you know, but there is really something to be said about standing on the hill basically for you so that you have eyes on the entire landscape. Exactly what I was thinking here. You kind of just made the case for the new slash current Cisco certifications portfolio program learning and certifications program structure, right? The CCNA redesign aimed at a broader scope of topics that maybe don't go quite as deep into some of the ones that they used to. Look at, on top of that, the professional level certifications, the concentration exams, that you have the opportunity to now go broader with in your learning and certification as well. Really the key is learning. You're learning breadth and you can go deep or wide. That's the whole point of the whole program structure now is to be able to have a fuller scope. And then just from talking with Mark Holm, who you know as a former VIP now CCDE program manager, David Penalosa and Daniel Dibb, that yeah, the CCDE, they talked about it in the last podcast episode. What do I need to know to be a CCDE? The old answer used to be everything. They've changed a little bit so you have some flexibility and how deep, you know, if you want to go specialize in an area, we'll do a plug for those two episodes. If you want to learn more about CCDE, you can go listen to those two episodes. But that's exactly what I was thinking though. And that and the ability to document, think about the design of a network. One of the things that I really like about the restructure kind of is because to me, it's more aligned to philosophically how I feel, which is that when you're starting out, I did this when I started out, is you start by building your base. It's like building the foundation of a house. You want it to be broad, you want it to be sturdy. It's not gonna go super deep into any one area, but you know, you should be able to do things like, what is a campus network and what is a data center and what is DNS? Have a good, solid, firm foundation. And then if you want to branch off as your interest or your experience dictates, then at least you're standing on something solid that you can take off to whichever direction you want. You can go do security if you want. You can go do data center if you want. You can do wireless if you want or collab. But at least you know you're standing firm. I think that's a great way to start out is take the time, build that foundation, understand how networks are built and what's the difference between layer two and layer three, for example. Get that under your belt and then figure out what really excites you and go after that. I totally agree. When did you know? When did you know when you were in the right place in this field? That's a tough question. For me, a lot of it had to do with the team I belong to and finding the right fit for me and the right team. I spent so much time talking about, you know, community and team and working together to be able to provide more thought out solution. You can't do that if you're working in isolation. The people that you surround yourself with are important to my vision of a strong team. But the other thing is, is that at some point in time, you have to make a decision as to you know, what you want to do. I mean, do you want to do security? Do you want to do implementation? Do you want to be a specialist? Do you want to be a generalist? Do you want to work in pre-sales? Do you want to be a tech advocate or a TME? There's so much different stuff that you can do under the umbrella of networking and IT. I think it's really limited thinking 
to say, I'm just going to join a network team somewhere and I'm just going to look after this one single network. You don't have to do that. If that's not something you want to do, don't do that. (laughs) Go out and talk to people about what roles are out there. I started out a lot of conversations with, this is who I am. These are the skills I've got. I'd like to be able to use these skills better. And I included the skills that I didn't develop as an engineer. Like, you know, I was a lawyer. I can talk your ear off. I can write circles around you all day long. How do I put those skills to use? And let's talk about your network. Let's talk about VXLAM. Let's talk about ACI. Start by talking to folks in the community Start by talking broad about who you are and what you want to do and let other people help you find a role that would be your passion, you know, that would get you up in the morning and make you super excited. That's it for our episode with Micheline. But before we end this episode, Micheline has one more thing she'd like to say about network engineering. I don't think network engineering is your grandfather's old job anymore. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) Maybe it's not your grandfather's. Maybe it's your dad's old job. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) You know, you don't have to be young. You don't have to be a dude. You don't have to be white. This doesn't have to be your first job out of college. You don't have to even be college educated. What you do need is to bring your own passion and bring your own discipline to it. You know, the coolest thing that I thought about network engineering and IT in general is how much the industry has grown up around people motivating their own educations. Yeah, sure, there's places you can go and you can go to the university and pay them a ton of money and sit in a classroom and have someone kind of feed it to you. But you could also go and buy textbooks or you could go online and look at Cisco white papers. There are learning videos. There are so much material available if you go out and look for it. And if you're motivated enough and passionate enough, it'll come to you. Take that passion and let it drive you forward and then let it help you guide where you go. Let it help you find a place where you can let that passion out of the box and live that. That's how I have run my IT career, but it works. I can't say enough to encourage people to take that leap and come and see it from themselves. And if you're thinking that you're too old to make a career shift, Micheline would like you to know something about the year that she stopped practicing law. In 2016, I was 45. You are never too old to learn something new. And if you got it in your brain to learn something new and learn something new every day, then you are young enough for IT. And I tell folks that every day because they're always asking me, well, how old is too old to be in IT? And I'm like, really? (laughs) To find out more about Micheline's story and other IT professional stories, please visit the Cisco Learning Network at www.ciscolearningnetwork.com. There, you can find not only stories of others in their journey to earn Cisco certifications, but you can also find all kinds of training videos, study groups, and, as we mentioned earlier, an entire community ready to support you in your studies. And please subscribe to the Cisco Learning Network podcast to hear more news about Cisco certifications, stories from people in their career journeys, and much more. Thanks for listening. I think I see a CCDE in your future, Micheline. I just have to put that out there. Yeah, we'll see what happens.
you don't know why. I am still enamored of the idea that someday I won't have to wear the $600 lunch little ribbon on my Cisco Live badge. We're going to add a couple more. 